Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Welcome to the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 app inside of the podcast 225 Studios. Clay Young and Miss Orlando here to welcome you to another exciting edition. Yay. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. So this week's show is an interesting combination. Hurricane season and cigar season. Which I'm still not used to, by Hurricane the way. Hurricane season. Yeah. So interesting you say that. Uh, our conversation, our first guest this week is Jay Grimes, chief meteorologist with WAFB-TV here in Baton Rouge. And we talked about how hurricane season is so different depending on where you are. For instance, it's the cold season back in Johannesburg right now. Is that right? Well, our season's opposite, yeah. So it's so, about to come to Well, that's what he was talking about, how it's, you know, the other side of the equator, the temperature is different. And when we are in our cold season, those areas are in their cyclone season. or in depend- Which is why we have summer in, uh, or Christmas in summer. Sure. And in some other places, they have typhoons. And so if you are a weather geek, you are absolutely going to love this. But if you're not a weather geek and you're just someone who loves understanding why the crazy weather here does what it does, he breaks it down. He takes us to school. And uh, the next conversation is with David Savona, the executive editor of Cigar Aficionado magazine, who talks with us about the FDA's potential legislation. And he gives you on a scale of one to 10 what he thinks the reality of that becoming will be. Uh, He also talks about local cities and legislation with them. And we talk about Cuba, Cuba. Yeah, that's, I got to get to Cuba at some point really soon to see about what's happening there. I know that businesses or groups are planning trips over little junkets to kind of see pockets of places where they can invest cash. So maybe that's uh, that's in the future. But anyway, he talks about Cuba, the latest with that and his magazine and how they come up with what they come up with and the controversial figure on the cover of the current edition of Cigar Aficionado magazine. So that's a great conversation that I'm looking forward to you guys hearing. Smoke'em is done. We hit our goal on to next year. Yep, I'm excited. And David's already told us, uh, I think he said it to me on the air, I don't think it was on the show, that they're in next year to give us a couple more tickets to the Big Smoke in Vegas this fall. And most of the players who were involved are going to be back next year so we're looking forward to that so so are you ready for this louisiana summer that's that's approaching now (laughs) you're not ready for it at all no so the 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 cold season here versus the cold season back at home is i'm sure it's is it colder there than because i don't really consider us having much of a cold season yeah it's definitely colder there yeah yeah you guys get snow no i wish we have um drakensberg mountains which if it's like probably an eight hour drive I think maybe more um, and there it snows in the mountains but it's pretty much the same as in Vegas I went to Charleston Mountain and it's about 45 minutes outside of Vegas and it snows over there I just saw a story speaking of snow about a couple of guys who are a part of a group that were trying to get to the summit of Mount Everest and one of them did it was two of them and one decided that he could not go on because they were doing it without additional oxygen no oxygen tanks. Uh, did you tell me about this? I don't think I did. And because I just saw the, I think yesterday we saw the story. I saw the story about him having done it. And he talked about the teamwork. And he said, if his friend 
had not decided not to keep going with him to the top, it would have been bad for both of them because he likely would have had to carry him down the mountain in a bad state where the, neither one of them might have made it. Right. So it's just interesting. I, I truly admire people who do things like that. that. That's something that very few people who have ever existed on this planet have done and that these guys have done that. I just think there needs to be more of that. You know, we should be able to encourage each other to do crazy stuff. And that's what we try. We try to do crazy stuff because you get one shot at life. You do all the normal stuff as best you can. So are we going skydiving Friday afternoon? Can't go Friday, but I want to go. And in fact, I actually know a guy. I know a guy too, Mr. I know a guy. What, what are you talking about? You, you say that like I say that all the time. No, but... But, but yeah, that's, so do you know someone who does it? Yeah, is it like it's his hobby. He probably jumps two or three times. Do you know PJ? Week. Did you ever meet PJ Tavernet? No. I uh, used to work with Acura. Now he works with Assurant Health. Health. I don't think... He sits on the Y board with me. In a conversation with him... He says he used to do it all the time. Like there was a group and the whole thing. and They get serious. Oh, yeah. And they, then they start packing their own parachutes and they get like, I mean, it's an expensive hobby. I really want to do that. that. I don't have a bucket list. Well, create one. I don't need to create one. Bucket lists are about death. I think lists like that are about living. You know, things you got to do before you die. It's too much pressure. And by the way, none of us really know when we're going to go. So you should have a bucket list, things... You want to just do before to, I just you're call it a to-do list. 40, before you're 50, before you're 60, before you're 70. There you go. That list wouldn't be long for me. Well, then you're not thinking hard enough because there's so many things out there that you haven't tried yet. Yoda over here. <laughs> All right. Jay Grimes with WAFB-TV is up next here on The Clay Young Show. Last year about this time, walked into my home in the evening and I had visitors, not relatives, termites. And the first thing I did was call John Conroy, and that's what you ought to do. Better yet, go see him. Here is John Conroy. What do we do? This is the swarming season, right? It really is. It's just getting started. Now, you had the little gold-colored little boogers with the that's wings. That's exactly yeah, right. Th- those are not your friends. Couldn't shoot him, so I had to call you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if I recall, we treated that. Yep. With by doing a termite treatment around mm-hmm. the outside. That's right. These were definitely Formosans. That's right. We used Termidor and we used Tallstar in different areas. Folks, if you come by, this is the exact same stuff the professionals use. And it solved the problem. It did. Absolutely, it did. So if you are in the New Orleans region and you're thinking about this and you should be, how can I get it? In Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. The man knows what he's talking about. Go see him at Pest Stop. Do it yourself pest control welcome back to the clay young show back with jay grimes chief forecaster for wafb tv and uh, hurricane season is about to begin before we get to that as we sit and record this in baton rouge last week on a thursday evening Mm. it goes from being cloudy to a little bit breezy to then all out hell breaking loose in about yeah. a two and a half hour span. Yeah, maybe even less than that. And maybe fact, less than that. Yeah, I well, mean, I, you know, when I was watching that, you're talking about uh, that past Thursday, and uh, when we were looking at it, and we're watching this mess cross uh, uh, southwest Louisiana across the uh, Acadian Prairie, you could see, yeah, it was going to get bumpy here. But it wasn't going to be anything too out of the norm. In fact, uh, you know, I kind of told uh, my partners. 
I think I can handle this. This will be fine. And I, I will say that it was more like 30 to 45 minutes. We went from, okay, this is manageable, manageable to real uh-oh. And then at about uh, 10 minutes to 10, just before the normal newscast, that's when the warning started to pop. And we actually went on air yeah. before the 10 o'clock start of the right, news. Right, I was you know watching it, and I, was, I think I was watching a basketball game. I was actually sitting outside, mm-hmm. and the weather moved me inside. Yeah, yeah. And for the first time that I could recall, and man, years so far ago, I can't remember, I was very close to taking cover. Yeah. I, thought, I thought we were going to get a tornado. You know, uh, well, there were a couple of tornado warnings. They started to, uh, tornado warnings started coming out at about five minutes to 10, and they continued through the next 30 to 45 minutes. Right. And you're not the only person to say that. I've talked to a handful of people who have said, you know, uh, and in a couple instances, they actually went into cover. They went into their closets yeah, or into yeah, the bathroom. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was pretty active and and it really cranked up between Lafayette and Baton Rouge it went from uh, just a cluster of big storms to something that uh, was pe- potentially uh, life-threatening and indeed in the end I mean there was one tornado that was off to the southeast of us but uh, uh, widespread wind damage and just a reflection of the kind of weather we can expect particularly in the spring most people kind of jump to the assumption that uh, hurricane season is our most destructive season oh but no not at all it's actually the winter and spring that we Absol- get the biggest storm I think you were here in maybe January or February. A couple months ago, yeah. yeah. And we had had, not long before then, we had had a bad weather, a string of a string of bad weather, and then that one day where it was like really, really bad. Yeah, that, and that was a record setter. That, that's a number I won't forget. That was February 23rd, <laughs> and there we had uh, more than a dozen tornadoes in South Louisiana. That's, yeah. that's the m- biggest tornado outbreak the state's ever seen for the southern part of the state, rather. Well, you know, the last time you were here, we, are, we talked about about your mindset going into a day like that. So if people are curious about it, they could just listen to that podcast. Yeah. We won't rehash all of that. But what I will ask you, though, is because you, you made reference to it and you and I chatted about it that evening. Going into the night, you were expecting one thing, which was a possibility of some severe weather, but not to that degree. So let's say you're going into the evening expecting a level seven and a half, all right, right which right. is high, yeah, right? Sure. And then we end up getting a nine, eight and a half, nine. So what about that? Well, I, you know, the issue is can we anticipate those kinds of things? And no, I mean, we can look at right. uh, the ingredients are on the table. But more often than not, they don't evolve. Right. More often than not, in fact, sometimes we get people who complain that we hype a situation. Well, I think these two events, the one uh, last Thursday and the one back in February, should be a good sign to folks that, no, we don't hype them. What we're right. telling you is the table is set. We're not sure the meal is going to be served. Right. But when it does get served, it comes quick. Right. And, and you just want, we want people out there to just be aware and ready and not caught literally with their pants down uh, when storms climb up on us, especially these nighttime events. Those right. are the ones that we're le- least ready, least prepared to respond to. I was joking with you yesterday about this and we were chatting and I said, you know, uh, I think you're brilliant at what you do. <laughs> you're Thanks. a friend, 
But at the same time, when you're calling for severe weather, I hope you're wrong every time. There's not a single time you're calling for that I'm hoping that I'm not hoping you're wrong. And obviously, it's not about you being wrong. It's just, I don't want to deal with it. Well, I'm not one of these guys who sits around hoping for tornadoes and hail and lightning so I could put it on Instagram. To hell with that, man. I don't want to deal with that. Well, I'm right there with you. Look, I, I don't like to be... Uh, uh, right when it comes to any kind of weather, whether it be events like we're just talking about now or events that may be coming in the next few months. Uh, I am just fine with partly cloudy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I still get paid the same. <laughs> That's right. I don't have to worry about overtime, which I don't get paid. I don't give you a tip if it storms and That's we get right. three inches of rain. You know, and, and the truth of the matter is uh, uh, days like today, partly cloudy, are the easiest ones to forecast. Yeah, that's right. uh, but But, uh, I, you know, what? when things start gearing up like we've seen there and like we may see in the upcoming hurricane season, our objective is not to hype. It's not to, to uh, overtell. It's simply to get people ready. And I could say that for all four of us at uh, Channel 9, the weather team. We're not there thinking, oh, this is a ratings opportunity. <laughs> right. We're really thinking in a couple of these events, we're really thinking, really thinking about maybe we can get a word out there that will save somebody from an injury or something even sure, worse. Sure. So this is something we didn't deal with the last time we spoke. And you talked about your mindset and I think, I think a lot of weather geeks, and I mean that affectionately out there, will appreciate this. What's the coolest tool or piece of technology that you have at your disposal in the studio? Well, there's no doubt about it. It's the access to uh, multiple radars. And we're not just talking about the radars in Louisiana, but anywhere in the country. And, and a lot of times we don't really get the opportunity on air to show all the cool yeah. stuff, if you will, <laughs> yeah. that radar can do. And w when we look at it and people are seeing uh, blues, greens, yellows, and reds, uh, that's such a that's only a fraction of the horsepower that radar has. And the new radars now are even more complex than I can uh, show on TV. They now take a double swipe of storm, so we really have the ability to look in a storm three-dimensionally. Right. We get to see uh, features with inside a th inside a thunderstorm now that we never could before. And, and one of the things we've shown uh, recently is this. It's called now dual polarized uh, polarization Doppler. It, it basically it's taken a an up down and left right scan of a storm huh. essentially at one. One, one flash. One now explain city. how that works. Well, the radars are simply, and this is the way I describe it at the schools, think of the radar as sending out a flashlight beam. Okay. And raindrops are tiny little mirrors. Okay. The more mirrors out there, the more the beam comes back. Right. So that's how it measures both the intensity and the distance because the computer actually measures the time for that pulse to go out and come back. So that's how it gets the distance. The intensity return tells it, gives us a sense of uh, what the activity is in the storm. But now by being able to look both sideways through the storm left, right, and also up down, we can really see the dynamics in the system. And so we what also, are those dynamics? Well, updrafts, downdrafts, okay. uh, the kinds of uh, circulation. Okay. And most importantly, what we look at is what is the potential for circulation okay. in the storm that okay. may indeed result in uh, uh, tornadic development. And then what we now have that we never could see before, this same feature, this dual polarized Doppler, allows us to 
see the elements that are being tossed around in the atmosphere. And what the radar does in a real simple sense is it kind of assumes and measures uh, raindrops, and all raindrops are basically the same size. Mm -hmm. When it looks into that thunderstorm area and sees elements of varying sizes, well, that's telling the radar there's something here besides raindrops. And so that's where we actually can see what are called debris balls. When you have tornadic activity, the radar will show us that there are different sized, and in, in meteorology, we call them meteors, yeah, things yeah. in the air, different sized things in the air. And that is now why and how the Weather Service can uh, say we have a, quote, confirmed radar uh, tornado based on the radar signature we see that we literally see the dust the branches the tree limbs the 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 boards and everything else being tossed up in the air by that tornado so let's specifically about tornadoes and i don't know if it's if it's a matter of us being able to record them now because people uh, can see them or radar technology evolving it just seems like there's more talk about tornadic activity than I could recall. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just I'm noticing it now. But is, 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 is that a point of fact that it's, there's more of it now? I think there's more of it now. And it, a lot of it has to do with just the technology, including that thing you're holding in your hand. Right. I mean, people are right. out there filming that's exactly, everything. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest. 20 years ago, somebody would call me up and they'd say, I think I saw a tornado. And 10 years ago, they would call me up and they would send me a snapshot of a <laughs> cloud. Right. Today, they send me a video. Actual video. And now I can see the spin. Right. And so, yeah, what one of the things that's happening is that we're, we're much more sensitive to it. We're more aware of it as a community here in South Louisiana, not just nationally. But now we have more hard evidence. And a lot of it is simply that video evidence. In the past, you would get a call from the public and you would say, well, okay, I don't see it on radar. Mm -hmm. It might not be there. Then you get a picture and you go, okay, it may not be on radar, yeah. but that is clearly a, right. a, a, a rotation and a, and, a, and a funnel cloud. And so that's how things have changed. And then there tends to be kind of a, and I think it's a positive feedback, but as we become more aware, we become more observant as right. a community. We keep our eyes peeled more. Plus, with our technology now, if I tell the audience today's a good day for the potential for funnels, People tend to look up a little bit more. I believe the presence of technology now, the technology that you can use to predict possible weather patterns and the technology we carry around in our pockets, these things have probably saved countless thousands of lives over the last five to 10 years because where you might not have known that the weather was going to go from stormy to tornadic now i can hear your voice on my phone saying take cover yeah. and i but these are all good things they are they really are and i think some people again say well you're just hyping it you're making it a bigger story than it is and you know it's not a hype when that tornado goes through your neighborhood absolutely it's if, it, if you don't see it i understand it doesn't quite register but when you see the footprint and you're absolutely right uh, one you know one of the things we've done is and i say we i mean the, the 
the weather community led by the National Weather Service, our warning time has expanded from about five minutes to about 15 minutes. Well, for a, a, a lot of people, that's really the difference between making a smart decision and being reactive. It gives you a proactive opportunity rather than a reactive opportunity. So over the the course of the last handful of years, uh, there's clear, I think it's, it's certain safe to say that hundreds have probably been saved and thousands have avoided injury. But I would say, again, we're talking Louisiana, but across the nation, yeah, across the thousands nation, right. of people who heed those warnings. And, you know, the news media has always talked about the weather in an after-the-fact, uh, you know, kind of presentation. Not weather folks like yourself, but after the fact. Well, now, more and more, like, for instance, um, last Thursday, you guys went wall-to-wall with this. It right. wasn't a hurricane, but this had the potential to do great damage. No one lost their lives, but think about it. I remember last year, there was this bad, I don't know, dust up it was in the morning one of those mornings last year and i happened to be on the southeastern part of uh, the parish near prairieville and man as i'm going out there it's getting really bad and i pull into a parking lot the one at albertson the albertson's at highland mm-hmm. and i'm i'm thinking now i want to go in but the wind is blowing so hard but i finally do go in but all the while i'm getting these alerts on my phone right right and so i can open the app in here and so i don't want to you know, beat that dead horse too much longer, but I'll just say it's smart that people have as many of those pieces of technology at their disposal as possible. That's absolutely the case. And, you know, you can choose to ignore it, but at least you're getting the information. Right. And, and uh, no, there's no question about it. Technology in general has not only made my job easier and better and given me an advantage in terms of a better predictive ability yeah but it also i mean ultimately what we're really talking about here is not whether jay's right or wrong but during when the stuff is really threatening can i get the word to the people that need to know so that they can make smart decisions and that's really that's what i see weather forecasting is about just helping you make a smarter decision whether it's stormy weather or whether you're thinking about going to the neighborhood pool tomorrow. Absolutely. And whether, the, and whether the weather will cooperate. So let's transition now to the 2016 hurricane season. All right, then. Yes, that indeed. is set to begin on the calendar in a few days. But <laughs> kind of, it's kind of, tell me about that. It's set to begin on the calendar in a few days. But yeah. we're well, kind of in, for all intents and purposes, we're in the season now. Yeah. Well, and this year started uh, a record early, and folks probably don't remember, but we actually had our first hurricane of 2016 way back in January. I'd forgotten that, that until you said that yesterday when we were talking. It's like, that, that's true. It got a name, right? Yeah, that was Alex. And uh, <laughs> uh, so the A is gone already. The next one will be the letter B, Bonnie. And uh, uh, I'm begging y'all to make C, Clyde. Uh, well, no, C is, <laughs> is going to be pronounced Colin, but I promise you some of your radio friends will make it colon, and then that, <laughs> that joke will go on forever and ever. So hopefully it's a short-lived storm. Yeah, but, yeah. but uh, um yeah, you know, the season, in fact, that January, Alex, uh, uh, that's only the second time in history, going back to the 1850s, that we've had a hurricane in January, and only the fourth tropical cyclone, the only fourth, only the fourth name, in, uh, nameable storm in January. So that, and, and we'll kind of take Alex off the board. It was such an anomaly, and then we go 
essentially five months without it. Sure, sure. But here we are, a uh, few days before hurricane season, mm-hmm. and, and the season officially begins June 1, which, right. you know, frankly, that's an arbitrary date, too. <laughs> right. We've had uh, uh, dozens of uh, May storms. Right. But June 1 to November 30 is the sort of the formal season. Mm-hmm. But we got this mess out there in the Bahamas that uh, may indeed uh, has at least some potential to – uh, take the B name later this uh, uh, week. Uh, yeah. um, it's not. It's not even tropical right now. But there's a cluster out there to the east and northeast of the Bahamas that uh, a couple of our models like. Uh, in terms of intensifying later this week, towards as we get into Friday and Saturday, and also bring it towards the U.S. East Coast in the sort of the Florida, Georgia, Carolinas belt there. No threat to the Gulf of Mexico whatsoever. If it did become a nameable storm, it would still be on the low end side of tropical storm strength. But that doesn't that you know look low end still can do damage. Low end tropical storms still produce tornadoes. Yep. Low end tropical storms still can produce uh, critical flooding. Yep. Uh, and what's going to happen is this storm, if it does indeed drift west or west northwest, it's going to move over the Gulf Stream, which is warmer water so it'll be sort of like moving from uh the 87 octane on the pump to the 93 (laughs) it'll give it a little juice so but uh if we even take that one off the board when we look at the rest of the season most of the experts are saying look for a a season in terms of numbers uh that'll be something near normal maybe even slightly above normal and what's normal well normal is about a dozen nameable storms Mm -hmm. and half of those becoming hurricanes so you know if you the experts the probably if i were to throw out a consensus they would probably say Instead of 12 and 6, which is average, they'll say 14 and 7, 14 and 8. So uh, two things that pop up after this, because we mentioned this in the last podcast, but I want to come back to it now because it, it's it's more timely. Sure. A busy season, To pe- there are people who say quiet. Quiet, and this is based upon how you talked about it and explained it, quiet is relative to where you are. It doesn't mean that there weren't a ton of storms out there. They just didn't make landfall. Right. So right. a busy season could be a dozen, as you say, or more, and that may make people go, oh, my God, we're going to have a dozen storms. No, that means that there's a potential for the creation of a dozen storms. Only two of those have to make landfall for it to be a disastrous uh, season in terms of money. Only one, Andrew. Only one, yeah. Andrew, yeah. right, 1992. Right. So, 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 I don't know if you want to expound any more on that, but then, but let me yeah. chase with this question okay. so you could do them back to back. Sure. Could you talk us through the stages, like, I think, tropical wave, and again, not a meteorologist, but when people hear about a disturbance, take us through what those phases are up to hurricane. Yeah, we, we can do that. So the, the first question is, what does busy mean? And I, I, Clay, as I get older, busy becomes more about me (laughs) and busy to me uh personally means do i have a cleanup around the corner (laughs) coming is it gonna hit me and hurt me yeah uh professionally busy to me means uh what is the threat for louisiana Mm -hmm. and and that's not only professionally from the the tv side of things but also from some of the stuff i do in the uh uh, emergency management and consulting community right that, that that is it. Hey, look, and I don't wish bad things on our next door state neighbors. Sure, sure. 
But to be honest with you, I'd rather they have to deal with it than we need to Amen. deal with it. So, so, so busy is is as you point out. Really, it's it's how many storms impact people, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be just the United States, the Caribbean, anywhere. And and so, and the truth of the matter is, while you get these expert groups that'll throw out these numbers, these preseason projections, they, you know get them off camera, off microphone, and they will admit they have no idea sure, whatsoever sure. whether how many are going to be landfalls and where they're going to be. So so that, yeah, the short answer, busy to me, is somebody gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, back to the other question about the stages. Okay, so essentially what we watch are these things that uh, we'll hear us call them tropical waves or easterly waves uh, and, they're, uh, and the disturbance. So, And what we're talking about with the disturbance is or a wave it's just a cluster of thunderstorms they're not spinning together they don't look mm-hmm. like they're working together they're just floating along in the uh, in, in the uh, basin typically we watch w- with easterly waves that name refers to their motion from east to west that's easterly and so these waves are basically just drifting in the uh, atmospherics larger scale currents mm-hmm. with this cluster of storms at some point if the conditions are right, those thunderstorms will begin to show some organization. And you'll actually go from a, a, an area of low pressure, a trough, that's the easterly wave, to what weather people will call a closed low. In other words, on the weather map where you can actually see a circle, a closed circle of pressure with a okay. lower pressure in the middle. Okay. So now we're at the tropical low, tropical disturbance stage. If it continues to intensify, it goes from a disturbance to a depression. In, in the uh, tropical world, when it becomes a depression, that's when we give it a number. So okay. you, we'll say TD or tropical depression number three, okay. TD number five. Okay. Uh, continued intensification, tropical depression becomes a tropical storm. And that's where we give it the name. So why is it... And I think I know the answer, but I don't want to assume because you know what that means. Um, <laughs> this time of the year is obviously the, the the hurricane season here, but there are concurrent seasons going on. And in other words, in other parts of the globe, they have a similar season. And so I'd like you to kind of talk about that. But also, is it about the water water temperature? What atmospheric conditions? precipitate the the formation of waves that can become hurricanes all right you got two features here and you have to think that think of them as working together you got the ocean and the atmosphere and uh uh let's go first to the your first question what about the seasons yeah there are there are other hurricane seasons we focus on the atlantic right and in the atlantic we average say something on the order of uh, uh 10 to 15 named storms mm-hmm. each year that's actually a small percentage of all the tropical activity on the planet. We, wow. we get 10 to 15 here. For the globe, we average close to 100 storms that could be nameable. The uh, Pacific Basin is very, very active, three, four times more active than the Atlantic. Really? And in fact, in the Pacific, uh, most groups actually break the Pacific up into regions, the Eastern Pacific, the Central Pacific. Then there's the Indian Ocean. And we, all, we forget all about that, but sure. some of the planet's biggest monsters form there because the Indian Ocean tends to be the warmest of the oceans. Okay. And then we got to also remember 
south of the equator, well, we're having summer, they're having winter. Right. So their season is their hurricane period. So it's inverted. It's the other way around. Yeah. It's during our winter. Yeah. So there, you know, and so when somebody says how many storms are we going to get this season globally, you really can't say, well, uh, you know, do you want to go by the calendar? Do you want to go by the northern hemisphere? Right. So, so yeah, so there are multiple basins that get storms. And in the last uh, decade or so, we've even seen a couple of hurricanes in the South Atlantic, south of the equator in the Atlantic. And up until, up and through, the 1990s, the general rule of thumb was that the South Atlantic never has hurricanes. Hmm. Well, we, we've seen a change there. And we can that's a, time for another uh, podcast, whether that's global warming <laughs> right, or not. Right, right. So anyway, so uh, of course our focus is the, in the North Atlantic. And uh, uh, we follow that here, and that season starts on June 1. The Eastern Pacific starts a little bit sooner because right. the waters get a little bit warmer. So let's go back to that other point then, the water and the atmosphere. Yeah, you got to have two features there. A rule of thumb is that the water temperatures in the tropical belts need to be around 80 degrees or warmer to provide the energy for a storm. But I like to point out, and this year was a perfect example, Hurricane Alex formed in January, and the warmest water it ever passed over was never more than 70 degrees. So what that tells us is this magic number of 80 degrees is a guideline. It is not something born out in pure uh, meteorological uh, physics, if you will. Uh, So, And really what we need with a a hurricane is just the ability for thunderstorms to grow. And uh, in the tropical belts... The water uh, has to be pretty warm to provide the, uh, the energy, which comes from the evaporated water that mm-hmm. comes off the surface. So you got to have, generally, we can say you have to have warm water, but not always. But more importantly, and the thing we don't talk a whole lot about, is you got to have an atmosphere that's ready to allow that system to form. Now, what does that mean? Well, the atmosphere has to be conducive in a way that thunderstorms are going to form and they're going to develop some type of rotation. In other okay. words, low pressure forms What creates at that, the surface. That, that rotation? It, it, that rotation is a change in temperature and pressure that creates that uh, uh, counterclockwise circulation. And in the northern hemisphere, not only are all tropical storms spinning counterclockwise but every winter storm is all low pressure systems in the northern hemisphere spin counterclockwise oh by the way southern hemisphere they spin in the opposite direction wow which they call those cyclones right well yeah they do and yeah and the the terminology is it kind of varies a little bit mostly in the southern hemisphere they're referred to as cyclones but in the weather community even atlantic storms can be called cyclones we just use the term hurricane more uh the term typhoon is used sure, in the western that's right. pacific that's right but each of those are all, all of those are tropical cyclones just with different names driven largely by uh, local or regional cultures so we have to have an atmosphere that's going to let this go and, and let this get going and so one of my analogies is is that uh, uh you walk into your kitchen and the wife's got all the ingredients on the countertop for uh, uh, an omelet. Okay. But 
if somebody doesn't put those ingredients together, they're going to sit there all day. Sure. They're not going to have an omelet. Well, that's the same here. We can have each of the parts of the ingredients for a tropical system to get going, but if they don't all come together at the same time, it doesn't occur. And for for example, we'll often talk about wind shear as mm-hmm. being destructive to hurricanes. So you have to have an environment where the storm wants to get organized, in which there is no wind shear at the middle. What is wind shear? Wind shear, typically what we talk about with hurricanes, we're talking about winds at the mid and upper levels of the storm structure. Something, say, like two, three, five miles up into the atmosphere, where the winds are moving a little bit faster than below. And so you end up with a sort of a tilted system because the winds in the middle and the top are pushing the top over. Well, hurricanes are like chimneys. They have to be vertical to be efficient. So when we have wind shear, that tends to inhibit the ability for a storm to uh, intensify. In fact, strong wind shear will actually rip a storm apart. So we have to have both the atmosphere and the ocean coming together at the same time to get a storm going. What do you expect this season? Well, you know, I'm I'm not one of these people that throws out those numbers. Uh, What we do know is that El Nino is going away. El Nino produces a lot of wind shear. El Nino is a good thing for us during hurricane season. Well, that's that's not going to be in the picture. So that Uh means one of the inhibitors has gone away. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to double the storm counts. But it means that there's a potential for more storms to develop. Beyond that, you know, if, when people ask me what are the chances that we're going to get hit this year, what I can tell you are the long-term statistics. And the number one that I throw out whenever I speak in public is, look, folks, there is at least, historically, at least a 50-50 chance of one or more named storms impacting Louisiana. Now, that might not be here in Baton Rouge. It might be in Lake Charles. It might only clip the bird's foot in Plaquemines Parish. But right. 50-50 is higher than most people know. In fact, on a decade yeah, basis... I'm not loving that. <laughs> on a decade basis, <laughs> yeah. we get seven named storms on average. Three of them hurricanes, four as, as tropical storms. And here's the other little hook here. Uh, most people are aware we've had a couple of quiet years. In fact, we've had three years in a row without an impact from a named storm. We've only had, in the last 120 years, there have only been six or maybe seven times where we've gone three or four years without being at least clipped by a storm. What the odd tells me is at least the odds are suggesting we're coming up about due. Now, that said, doesn't mean it'll happen, but I will tell you there's never been a five-year stretch Right. So, so I'm hoping we'll we will start that trend. Well, I, I'm good with it. I, like I said before, I, I do not need the work. <laughs> and uh, but what I will tell you is that I am really very impressed by the uh, the state of preparedness uh, we are, we live in 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 all of our communities sure. in South Louisiana. We have a, a, a superb. Uh, uh, State uh, Homeland Security Office, the GOSEP. Yep, yep. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of the individual parish and even some of the local municipal mm-hmm. emergency management offices in the area here. And I can tell you all of those people take it very, very seriously. And I think we've also seen by our willingness to evacuate the coastal parishes in the yeah. last de- decade or so mm-hmm. that people down here get it too. And... Uh, 
a lot of folks worry about some measure of complacency because we've had three quiet years. Tell you the truth, I'm not too concerned about that. I think all you have to do is just say Gustav and Isaac and Katrina and Rita, and people sit up and take notice. You know, we talked about this before, that Gustav impacted us in ways that Katrina never never got even close oh, to. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And it was something I remember Katrina, obviously we all do, but the aftermath of that storm is what we think about and that's not a whole lot to do with the storm. That's about the change in lifestyle for so many people. Gustav was a monster that hit us square in the in the mouth and we had to deal with it because I had longer power outages and with Gustav and more damage and all of that. And so, you know, but I want to I want to wrap up with this. Some things that you would tell people to consider, you know, and, and not the armchair weather guy, because there's a ton of those on television and radio, by the way. I'm not one of them. <laughs> uh, but I will say for the average John Q. Citizen, as you as you get them to think about preparing for hurricane season, what would you say? You know, I, I usually say two or three things. One is that prepare for Gustav. Mm-hmm. You know how that impacted you, or maybe yep. your house was spared, <laughs> but probably somebody in your neighborhood took a, took a got hammered. And, and, and you know, <clears throat> we all can walk away and say things are good, but, um, all it takes is a tree on the carport. Frankly, all it takes is a tree down in your yard. That's There's right. $3,000 you got to yeah. come up with just or to get it Or the fence going down. That's right. So, so it, it, it doesn't require a wallop by a hurricane, nope. even this far inland. And, and bottom line is, assuming no one is hurt, uh, you have no, no really long-term impacts from one of these storms, you still have an inconvenience. Sometimes, I mean, people were without power for two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. That's more than inconvenient in That's today's right. world. That's right. So the one thing I tell people is think about uh, what would you do differently now uh, if you knew Gustav number two was on its way. Go mm-hmm. ahead and do that. I have become a real proponent of encouraging people to think real hard about flood insurance, national flood insurance program. For most people in Baton Rouge, it's a little bit more than a dollar a day. Sure. And it protects your house from flood waters because uh, when your house floods, your insurance company, your homeowner's policy will cover it fine as long as it came through the roof. Isn't it mandatory now? Well, it's mandatory in certain zones. So there's the whole thing about falling versus rising water. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way falling water gets in your house is if you punched a hole in the, in the roof. roof. Right. And so, you know, but rising water happens more than people realize. One in four properties every year that gets flooded is outside the 100-year flood zone. Wow. One-third of the money from the National Flood Insurance Program goes to homes that are outside the 100-year flood zone. I guess I need to call Jim Donnellan and bring him on the podcast. You know, it's something, yeah, and he will be he'll be even a more uh, uh, aggressive Forceful proponent. About it. Because, you know, I, and yeah, do I have $500? Not that I can just whip out and write to the National Flood Insurance Program, but Two inches of water in my house is about ten thousand dollars worth of damage. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you yeah. know, and five hundred dollars is less than I pay to drive the streets of Baton Rouge <laughs> in my car. That's my exactly car right. auto insurance is more. So, in those terms, it's really not a bad thing to do. The other thing, of course, is you know, find that resource for the information that you really 
connect with. And, you yeah. know, I hope it's the Storm team at That's Channel right. 9. But That's right. Look, it, if it's one of our competitors, if if it's Clay Young, <laughs> no, just don't, find, don't make it Clay Young. Find okay. a place that you know you get the information that is helpful to you yeah. and, and gets you prepared and keeps you attuned. You know, our, 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 our communications community here, I think, does a, a, a superb job of getting I people would agree. ready. I would agree. Once the storm is threatening. Sure. But lastly the responsibility is yours at home yep it's not somebody else's that's problem. right and so the more prepared you are the more ready you are to take care of your kids your family that's and right. also think about your extended family Absolutely. lots of folks out there are the the caregivers to the older parents that's right or you may have a sister with kids, sure. uh, you know, so you have to think about all of those things. What do you need to do? Who requires special care? Mm-hmm. Who requires special meds? Mm-hmm. Remember, if the power's out at your house, it's probably also out at Walgreens. That's right. So, so you got to get yourself ready to go. And uh, experts say seven days. Uh, you know, do I need seven days of water in my closet? Uh, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope not either. But, you know. Two or three days worth of water in little uh, uh, in the little last forever sixteen ounce uh, plastic bottles is not go. a bad idea. And you just drink your whiskey neat. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. That's okay. <laughs> we'll we'll edit that one for my wife. <laughs> All right. So listen, I'm hoping we don't have to come back and talk about any storm in the aftermath. But I'd be glad with that. I'd be happy uh, with that. But I know midway the hurricane season, maybe not. I guess that would be. July, August, sometime in there to kind of talk about how it's going. Yeah, August would be a good time. One of the things that, again, just throwing out these tidbits, remarkably, now the season is six months long, and yet historically, almost 50% of the storms that hit Louisiana come in one month, September. Wow. So that's our hot zone. Jeez, because Katrina was August 29th, Towards right at the end of the, end month, yep. of the month. And then like Rita in the was subsequent weeks, the we had month. Rita and then Wilma. Hey, when's the last time we got to Z? To Z? Uh, well, Clay, you've stumped the guy. Here. Oh! Uh, I'm going to say the last Z was... Uh, uh, 2005, where we actually rolled into the Greek alphabet. That's right. That was so the that Katrina would be year. My guess. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and that was 28 named storms. I mean that that year was so off the charts. The next busiest year only had 20 named storms. To put that in perspective, that would be like somebody at the Olympics knocking a full second off the 100-meter dash. Yeah, that's humming right there. I mean, it's not going to happen, you know. No one would have ever anticipated we would go, you know, when you break a record, you go from like 20 to 22, Mm -hmm. not to 28. You know, the Katrina story is about to be uh, undertaken by Hollywood. Mm. The producers of the uh, Fox Cable Network miniseries, The People vs. O.J., that was based upon a book, uh, the, The Run of His Life, this same group is planning on a docu-series about Katrina that, that is going to be dramatized. Now, the OJ trial, the way that they portrayed it, was it was captivating. I mean, I was right. always a couple of weeks behind in it, but thank goodness for DVR. But it was it was phenomenal. I am very curious to see what they're going to do with the story of Katrina because Katrina involved so many aspects of life yeah, all rolled into one. You know, the storm, the meteorology itself is almost an afterthought. 
the yeah. story of Katrina is the impact on a community and an impact on people's lives that is still evident Absolutely. today. And some people still haven't gotten their feet back under their no. under them 10 years later. It forever changed Louisiana and in many ways the country. Yep. I mean, things learned during Katrina positively impacted or at least made people aware on the Upper East Coast when Hurricane Sandy blew through there all those years later, but three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was something I hope never to have to relive anything like that again. Uh, clearly not. I, it, you know, I, one thing we can say is maybe that uh, the Crescent City is a little better prepared. But, yeah, uh, I would hope. It's it still, and, and unfortunately, some of that preparation is because so many of those neighborhoods simply got destroyed aren't going to be a problem and and they're yeah they're not back even right. still their areas there are parts of new orleans that look the way that they did on august 30th sands the water that's exactly right and that's that's one of the things that you know with this docudrama you're talking about yeah they're gonna to have to be very careful oh yeah not to to see that's the thing that's the the story because you've got the story of Ray Nagan in the aftermath and the political dynamic between Governor Blanco and President Bush and Mayor Nagan and the things with the buses and the hospitals, people in hospitals without electricity, the doctors who stayed because they had terminal patients and so many things going on. So I'm curious to see that. And if you hadn't heard that, yes, that and the guy who played uh, Johnny Cochran in that series, Courtney Vance, is he's he's been cast to play someone. And if it's Ray Nagin, that's really going to be interesting. Yep, yep. Well, listen, you're the first guest in the new studios here, so uh, cool glad to digs, have you man. here, man. I love it. And uh, we'll get you back in August and here again. I hope you're wrong and that we don't have any storms hit the, the I'm state. I'm good with that. And, Clay, thanks for having me. Thank you, bud. You bet. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with David Savona, the executive editor of Cigar Aficionado magazine. Uh, Dave, how are you, bud? I'm doing great, Clay. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, I want to begin with saying again thank you for the donation made to the Smoke 'em If You Got Them fundraiser. It was a success. We set a goal for uh, of $20,000, and we hit that goal. And everyone had a great time and not in small part to the fact that a couple of people are going to be at the Big Smoke in Vegas this year because of your generosity. Well, very happy to help out. We always love supporting good causes like yours. And uh, it's a pleasure to donate tickets to the Big Smoke. Well, you know, it, we this year's event, as, as folks around here know, benefited the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, an organization named in honor of Chris Kyle, who was featured in the movie American Sniper. His wife, Taya, runs that organization now, and they help veterans and first responders. And so, Dave, man, it was such a patriotic atmosphere. Uh, Jameson was uh, was there to provide uh, whiskey, and we CLE, Cigar Company, 
uh, they did a custom smoke them if you got them box of cigar. They did their premium uh, blend that we gave to people who attended the event. And I'll have to send you a couple pictures of that box. I actually want to send you some pictures from the event. And I got my fingers crossed that maybe we might make one of the magazines or something here in the next several editions to uh, bring bring attention to this thing. I think we know some people who can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think so as well. So, again, thanks, man. And a couple things to talk about today. First up, what the FDA did or tried to do vis-a-vis premium cigars and where that is now. So uh, if you can explain what did the FDA try to do that related to tobacco and how we believe premium cigars should be excluded from that. Well, sure. The FDA came out with a uh, uh, ruling saying that they would now uh, begin enforcing uh, regulations on the cigar industry in a similar fashion to what they already do with the cigarette industry and smokeless tobacco industry. Basically, the entire tobacco industry uh, becoming subject to FDA rules. And uh, we had hoped that the segment that makes handmade cigars, uh, premium cigars, would get an exemption, and that did not come through. Uh, What this means uh, in the long term, once these rules begin to go into effect, and that begins in August, and there will be some period of time after that, uh, up to a period of a couple of years, as these things go into effect in phases. Uh, but unless this is stopped, there will be regulations on cigars. There will be uh, prohibitions on uh, free samples of cigars in cigar shops, for example. There will be more warnings on boxes of cigars. And most uh, disturbingly, uh, again, unless this is checked, there will be severe limitations on cigar makers uh, in terms of how they can come out with new cigars. They will have to register the product, they will have to get approval on the new product, and it will cost them uh, an awful uh, a lot of money and also an awful amount of time. And uh, as you know very well, a lot of the companies that make cigars by hand, uh, they are very small organizations, and they don't have uh, tons of money and tons of manpower to jump through all these government loops and hurdles and uh, the, what we're seeing right now is uh, it's disturbing for this cigar industry, for the handmade cigar industry. As you know, I'm a cigar enthusiast. I, I enjoy them. And so I'm on the anti side of this as it relates to what the FDA is doing. But for someone listening to us and, and they say, well, what's wrong with putting labels on the boxes? Uh, and let's there is you listed a part of the litany of things that they're trying to do. But let's start with that one. And the the way that these cigars are packaged and then the humidor experience at a tobacconist in, in any city. Kind of deal with those three, if you don't mind, and how if this legislation passes, how it will impact not just the manufacturers, but the retailers. Well, sure. I mean, the, the, the overarching goal of the, the, the origin of all this was to keep all tobacco products, including cigars, out of the hands of youth. And I'm in full support of that, too. Right. Everybody I know who makes a fine cigar, nobody wants uh, underage uh, people to uh, smoke these things. Uh, and unfortunately, the cigar industry gets lumped in with the cigarette industry, and there, there are an awful lot of cigars out there that uh, aren't like the cigars you and I smoke. There are cigars that, you know, that are made by hand, that are sold strictly in brick-and-mortar retailers, in places that where children aren't welcome, uh, the typical cigar shop, a child won't even be able to get into the door. Uh, 
even if they can, the cigars are kept in a walk-in humidor. Children aren't allowed in there. Uh, under uh, people under the age of 18 or wherever the whatever the legal smoking age is in said state wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the cigars. So the rules are already being enforced at that level. the The problem is the cigar industry is a big one. There are many more cigars made by machine than are made by hand. Uh, there's about 12 billion cigars uh, sold in the U.S. every year. Uh, but only about 300 million of those are the handmade variety, the type that Cigar Aficionado looks at. And so those machine-made ones, that's, that's the type of cigar you see at convenience stores, uh, you know, in prepackaged uh, packages that are out for people to buy. And, and that's where you see the, the problem of enforcement of, of age. So the industry that we talk about, the premium industry, contends that the uh, youth is already being kept away from the product because of the the way it's sold, and that's in a brick and mortar establishment, in a high end retail shop where children are just not allowed and have no no point in being there at all. Uh, but unfortunately, the uh, these broad rules are grabbing the the handmade segment of the cigar industry as well as the far larger uh, machine made segment. What do you believe about the possibility of this becoming a reality? I know there's kind of a stalemate going on now, but it doesn't seem like this lobby that wants to do this is going away. So gauge for me on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely it's going to happen, uh, and obviously 0 being or 1 being it's not going to happen. Gauge where you think it's going to be, let's say, in 12 months, and if that is the case, what recourse will cigar manufacturers and retailers have? I'd say it's closer to a 10 than a 0 right now. It's looking, if I had to guess, I mean, maybe I'd throw a number of 7 on it. The uh, What's happening now in terms of opposition is uh, the IPCPR and the CRA, uh, two organizations. CRA stands for Cigar Rights of America, very good organization. I encourage everyone who loves a good cigar to support and join. And the IPCPR is an organization of retailers. Uh, both of those organizations have uh, petitions. Uh, on their websites. The one petition is for the White House. The more important one is a uh, series of petitions for your congressmen and senators. Because right now there are bills in the the House and Senate uh, that could still uh, save, if you would, the premium cigar industry from this FDA regulation. Uh, One in particular that could basically cut off the funding uh, for this regulation and get the exemption we think the premium cigar industry deserves. Uh, but uh, it's a tough fight. It's a tough fight to make that happen, and it's going to require the support of cigar lovers from around the United States to speak up and say, hey, you know, we don't deserve these types of regulations. We're, a, we're an industry with uh, where cigars, handmade cigars are for adults. Uh, they're legal. We enjoy them and uh, don't take our rights away. This will impact the premium cigar industry as we know it. Now, of course, you remember the IPCPR was here in Louisiana and specifically in New Orleans last year. And I'm sure you're you're aware and you guys talked about the kerfuffle between the city council and the casino industry because of their smoking ban. Well, here in Baton Rouge, there was a similar effort lobbied by some of the same people. And it failed at the council level because of a number of factors. One, retailers spoke out at the council meetings in addition to cigar enthusiasts. And it fell because 
you know, people saw it as a, pre, a free enterprise issue. And if a business owner wants to allow or disallow something in their establishment, it should be left up to them. This kind of thing is popping up in cities around the country. So first, I'd like you to speak on that and then kind of talk about the economic impact that these bans are having because Harris in New Orleans is really feeling it uh, because of what the New Orleans City Council did. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, smoking in casinos has uh, been a big part of the history of casinos. And there's a, uh, when you ban smoking in, in the casino level, you see an impact on business. There was a casino in uh, Atlantic City called Ravel that uh, opened and famously went non smoking, and it very quickly closed. Uh, smoking bans have been fought in casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, we would contend that a casino is an adults only environment from the beginning, and why ban smoking, which is legal, in the casino? Let the let the business make that decision. You know, have a non-smoking area for people who don't wish to smoke, and have a smoking area for those who wish to partake. Uh, we're in big support of that. In terms of the impact on business, I'll go back to this FDA thing. This is a this is an anti-business regulation. Uh, this industry, the premium cigar industry, is made up of very small companies and. Uh, putting these uh, regulations in that will make their business more expensive is going to, if not stopped, it's going to force some of these guys to go out of business or at least curtail what they do, cut back on their product lines, uh, and maybe fold entirely. You know, if you're uh, restricting uh, the the ability for them to get cigars out to the market, you're restricting their ability to do business. It's going to reward the bigger companies that have the the, uh, the manpower and the, the coffers to you know, fund these uh, government regulations, and it's going to uh, penalize the mom-and-pop organizations that uh, that are small and trying to make a living. And it's also going to impact the people that sell cigars. The, uh, the IPCPR that I uh, talked about, they represent some 35,000 people around the United States who, who sell cigars. That doesn't have anything to do with the companies that make them. That's just people that sell them behind the counter. And uh, you're looking at those jobs going away, too, which is a very sad thing. You know, for me, the it, I agree with what you're saying, and it it it's the beginning of a slippery slope. If if someone chooses not to enjoy a cigar, like I don't do cigarettes at all, never have, never will. But for people who choose not to uh, enjoy a cigar, I don't think it's a problem. It's their right to choose. But where does it stop? You know, we've seen in New York City with you know uh, Bloomberg and the big gulps, and you know. At what point does it come into your house where people want to know what's in your refrigerator and they'll penalize you if there aren't a certain percentage of health products in your home? I mean, I think people say, well, that's ridiculous. But I mean, all of these things that reach the level of being ridiculous start someplace. And is this that place? That's a very good point. I mean, you, you, government is, uh, what is government's role? Are they taking every if you take away everything that could possibly hurt somebody you, you end up taking away everything which is just silly and you mentioned coming into homes i've seen uh, examples of uh, principalities uh, in california and other places where they've actually made it illegal in some cases to smoke in a, in a in anywhere but a private home or even if you're in a an apartment building shared spaces uh, they will ban smoking and uh, you mentioned michael bloomberg mayor bloomberg when he was a uh, mayor of new york city he took away smoking in uh, certain outdoor areas. There are parts of Times Square where you can't smoke. Um, there are uh, New York's public parks you can't smoke. 
Central Park. It's a gigantic park outdoors. <laughs> plenty Absolutely. of space for people. Yeah, it's illegal to light a cigar or a cigarette or anything else like that uh, in that park, which is just silly. Um, you know, the great outdoors, uh, I don't think uh, anyone would be able to smell your cigar if you're smoking in Central Park, but you'd be breaking the law. Wow. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, what's next? Big Macs, uh, Nuggets, or, you know, I mean, what's next? It's, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know. How do you think the... How do you think the industry is doing now in the face of this? Because I know you have a pretty good pulse on what the big guys and the smaller guys, the boutique blenders are doing. How are they right now? Well, they're reacting right now. They're, they're gathering their information. And this news just broke a couple of weeks ago. And the document with all the uh, rules and proposed new rules was 500 pages long. So it's a lot to get through. And they're still getting through it right now. And not everything is completely clear. Uh, there's a lot to be uh, to be learned about what could happen uh, when these rule, uh, rules start to go into effect. The one good thing that's happening is the industry is pulling together, which is always a, a good thing in face of adversity. They recognize the threat. They're gathering together. They're talking about this common threat and figuring out what they could do uh, to fight it. They're considering lawsuits. You know, their businesses are at risk. They want to... Uh, to fight for the right to, to sell a legal product and to do it the way they, they have for years. And uh, so they're pulling together, which is a good thing, which is what they need to do. Well, it, it, it is. And, you know, I wanted to also get onto something else. The, the most recent edition of Cigar Aficionado magazine came to the office. And when I, when I opened it up, I saw that Sean Combs was on the cover. And I've seen that you guys have gotten all kinds of reactions about that. And that's been curious to me. So, uh, A, is, is it just looked like an, an anomaly of reaction to people? Or have you really gotten some pushback on people wondering why he was on the cover? And if so, I don't get what the hell the problem is. Oh, you know, there's, our readers are incredibly passionate, uh, and many of them have been reading the magazine for, uh, for a long, long time, some for the entire history of the book, and they're outspoken. Uh, you know, they, they say what they love, they say what they don't like. And we've had a couple of comments about having Sean, uh, Sean Combs on the cover, but a lot of positive ones as well as some negative ones. Like what, what are people, what, what's the problem? Oh, I think some people just don't like his particular style of music. And oh well, you know, <laughs> I don't care about that. I mean, there are people there are people who are on the cover who are involved in different things in, in entertainment, and I may not have seen a lot of their 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 movies or whatever their art is, but I enjoy reading the articles about them. You know, the John Voight one was probably the one that, in recent times, it's interesting to see the depth of thought he puts into things and just. Man, y'all got him to talk about a lot. He even nibbled around the edges of his relationship with his daughter, which he rarely ever talks about. And uh, he doesn't like to talk about. It. Yeah, he was, uh, but he was very forthcoming. Uh, and the, the the Sean Combs interview, and just in the the June issue of the magazine, which is out now. I mean, I think uh, anyone who reads that will come away, uh, as I did, with uh, the impression that this man is an incredibly successful entrepreneur, amazing hard worker. And just his, his business ventures alone are, uh, are staggering. He's uh, he really knows how to uh, how to move a product and to really uh, feel the pulse of uh, of the consumer out there and, and put good products in front of them. And uh, he's earned every penny he's made, and he's uh, from all accounts an exceptionally hard worker who likes to relax uh, with a, with a fine cigar. So he's our type of guy. Well, you know, he's absolutely our type of guy. And the thing you said it, he he's earned every penny he's gotten. He understood the the importance of branding at a very 
early point in his career, and you know, with all, I mean, he's he's had so many different names that I just can't keep up with him. So I just call him the name his mom gave him, Sean, and uh, it's easy to remember. And so you just, it's it's a great story and it's great insight. Something else about the magazine. So you know, when you walk into my building, it's it's on the table in the lobby, and I've got finance magazines. I've got a local business publication that people may peruse, but the cigar aficionado magazines are the ones moved around the most. And I think a big part of that is the nuance of the magazine. It's, it's primarily cigars, but it's also other things, you know, other, you know, activities and clothing and all of those things. I don't know that you've ever talked about the, if there is a matrix or a percentage or ratio is there when you guys are putting that together? It fluctuates. Uh, cigars are always a part of the magazine. That's a, that's our core. That's what got us started, and we'll never forget that. But uh, there there is much more than just cigars in there. We, uh, we there, there's a cigar angle. There's always something on golf. Uh, basically, in, in a nutshell, we're just trying to uh, find good stories and interesting products that will intrigue our readers. Uh, you know, we we prepare cigar aficionado for uh, for our dedicated audience. Uh, you know, it tends to be an affluent audience, tends to be a male audience, and uh, they read Cigar Vishnado in their leisure time. I always like to say nobody reads Cigar Vishnado because they have to. They read Cigar Vishnado because they want to. So we're part of that leisure time, and we want to intrigue them. We want to uh, present them uh, people who are making a difference, who have interesting stories, and really find the, the finest things in life for them to, uh, to, for them to experience, whether that's a great car, uh, an incredible trip to a wonderful golf course, a new gambling strategy. Uh, something cool to wear. Uh, that's what we're all about. couple quick questions here as we wrap up. Uh, one, an update on what's happening with Cuba. As you know, it's a big deal now. People are waiting on the day that they can walk into a store and buy Cuban cigars. And, you know, I've told people you don't have to wait on that to get a good uh, good cigar if you want one. They're, they're good ones out there from lots of places. But an update there. And what can we expect in the next edition? Still waiting on seeing what's uh, when the embargo will end. The embargo still exists. The talks are continuing with uh, with Cuba. The big the big update is uh, is on the travel front. You know, the, uh, you've probably heard about the Carnival Cruise Line that uh, came to Cuba a few weeks ago, the yep. first uh, American cruise to come to Cuba in, in, in decades. Uh, and all the other cruise lines are starting to line up and make their deals. Uh, so that's a, a much needed change on the travel front because the hotels of Cuba are packed right now, very hard to get into. So the idea of coming in with a big floating hotel, very comfortable floating hotel, to experience Cuba for a few days uh, is, is intriguing and a good method for Americans to, uh, to experience Cuba. Uh, coming up in our magazine, uh, we're, we just put the July-August issue uh, to bed, sent it out to the printer. And without revealing uh, who's on the cover, I'll say it's someone who uh, you, you probably don't know. Uh, focusing on a uh, television show from a, a, a very uh, storied producer uh, that premieres uh, its new season uh, when the issue comes out. And I think it's a story that uh, our readers will like as they discover this, this show that, uh, that intrigues us. And um, a lot more interesting stuff in that magazine that I'll let, let you see when it comes out, coming out pretty soon. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm content to wait on it because I'm always surprised at who's on the cover. This last one was really like, 
huh, didn't see that coming because I actually didn't know he was a cigar guy. But hell, at our event a few weeks ago, there were people who showed up to uh, donate to the cause that I didn't know were into cigars either. So it's it's always enjoyable. And we'll send you a picture from that, as we were saying off the air. Hopefully uh, we can make it into the rotation at some point. And, and I want to thank you again. And uh, we appreciate what you guys are doing, man. Like I told you, I get the publication at the house and at my office. I'm proud to support what y'all got going on. Well, thank you for the support. So glad to uh, speak to you. Well, any uh, any other thing you want to plug or get out there before we close it off? I would like to encourage everyone to go, everyone who likes a cigar, to go to IPCPR, IPCPR.org. Uh, that's where you can find the uh, link to reach out to your your representatives, your senators, to get the word out and say, hey, fight for this cigar industry. That's that's the one thing I'd like to spread right now. That's important. David Savona, the executive editor of Cigar Aficionado magazine. If you don't subscribe to the magazine and you want to know a great deal about cigars and the good life, even if it's in your dream stage before you make it a reality, I suggest you invest in yourself and subscribe to that magazine. Thank you, David. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Great, great show. Again, special thanks to Jay Grimes. The guy knows his stuff, and he is always on it. And hopefully during the middle of hurricane season, we can have him back to say, hey, it's been a quiet season. I would love that. And thanks to David Savona, who makes time for us in the middle of his busy day to talk with us about cigars and all things good life. Interesting thoughts on Sean Combs. He's right. The guy's worked very hard. He's earned every penny. And, you know. I think that's the American dream, having an idea or some kind of talent, maximizing it, and then making a bunch of money doing it. That should be everybody's dream. You know, that's the one I'm working on every day. All right, next week is Memorial Day, uh, and our show next week is with a local, he's going to hate that I said this, a local hero, (laughs) and we talk about that word in the show Retired Marine Colonel David Cuvion, who ran and was considered the quote-unquote governor of the Wasit province in Iraq. He talks about his life. He talks about how he got to where he is. And I think it's a fascinating story that you guys will all enjoy. And that is next week here on The Clay Young Show. Hey, listen, spread the word about the show. We've got lots of great guests on the way. Julio Malera with the Baton Rouge Business Report in Register and 225 Magazine is going to be coming up with an innovation that you're going to love, especially if you're in business. You're going to love this. If you are doing dinners, if you're doing dinner parties, if you're having meetings at uh, restaurants in, in the greater Baton Rouge area, trust me, you're going to love this. And I think we'll try to get Big Jim Donnellan on as well, the insurance commissioner here in Louisiana, to talk a little bit about flood insurance and hurricane season. So still so much to come on the clay young show hit that subscribe button tell your friends about us we appreciate all the feedback we get you can catch us on itunes free there download it you can also download that talk 1073 mobile app or of course log on hit the digits and catch us at podcast 225.com
Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.